Welcome to today's lunchtime seminar. Um, it's with great pleasure that I um, introduce um, Sandra McNally, who's our speaker today. Um, Sandra is a senior research fellow um, at the Centre for Economic Performance at uh, the LSE in London. She is um, currently the director of the education programme at the CEP. Um, her current research interests include uh, the economic evaluation of government policies, the effect of careers-related information on education decisions, uh, returns to education, the effects of ability tracking within school systems, special education needs, and education and mental health. Um, Sandra um, um, has a BA in economics from Trinity College Dublin um, and a PhD from um, University College London, and she's also affiliated with the IZA in Bonn. Um, now, Sandra's presentation today um, is on non-native speakers of English in the classroom, what are the effects on pupil performance, and uh, it's based on work with two of her colleagues, Charlotte Jay and Shapanya um, Telhey. Uh, okay, so I'd like to introduce Sandra. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's really nice to be here and really nice to see so many familiar and friendly faces. So thank you very much. Um, as I'm going along, please don't wait till the end to ask questions. Feel free to interrupt. Um, okay, thank you. Um, so in England, 12% um, of primary school students don't speak English as a first language, uh, non-native English speakers. And the number has increased by a third since 2003. Um, so the, this paper is about, does this affect the educational attainment of native English speakers by the end of uh, primary school? So the perception in the media is that this is quite a negative thing, um, especially in places like London where the percentage of non-native speakers is very high and has increased quite a lot. Um, and this is uh, somebody, Sir Andrew Green, chairman of the Migration Watch UK, saying that it's the effect, it's primary schools where the effect is, is felt most acutely and where the education of native English speakers is bound to suffer as immigrant children require extra help. But if you would consider the academic literature, you might take issue with that, because for a start, a lot of non-native English speakers are ethnic, from ethnic minority groups, and we know that there's a lot of catch-up um, through primary school. Um, we know in the adult population, um, the uh, migration to the UK is... is um, selective migration and a positive selective migration and has been for some time. That's on average people who uh, immigrate to the UK are um, better educated than natives. So that might actually, um, the, the peer, peer group, even if they don't speak English as a first language, may be from better educated backgrounds and that may actually mitigate some of the sort of negative impact of the fact they're not speaking English when they start school. Um, and we know that even very recent immigrants, A8 immigrants, uh, those are from people from Poland, for example, um, are better educated than the uh, native population. Um, so what's our approach? Well, firstly, we want to examine the association between the proportion of non-native English speakers and the education attainment of native English speakers and look at how that changes as controls are added. So even without any putting any causal interpretation, it's still quite an interesting thing to look at. Um, well, then we want to ask the question, is that coefficient, can it be interpreted as causal? Um, following the approach in the peer literature, 
which says that um, you can put in a lot of controls and hopefully what's left is idiosyncratic variation in the peer characteristic. And you look at that and how that relates to the dependent variable. Um, and people try to argue that really the variation, all the variation there is after you put in all of these controls really is random. Um, so we can look at that and see if that's plausible in this context or not. And then uh, finally, um, try to use an instrumental variable strategy, particularly for um, white non-native English speakers, which is really reflecting the increase in that reflects A8 immigrants. Um, and uh, we know that a lot of those people uh, are Polish, um, that they're um, ca from Catholic backgrounds and strongly uh, Catholic country, and um, that that um, had a, a sort of increase uh, uh, increase the demand for Catholic schools in particular, and we want to use that as a basis of an IV strategy to see if there's a causal impact. Um, so for the rest of the talk, I'm just going to explain the data, um, show some trends and basic characteristics um, of the people I'm looking at, um, talk about the potential problem of pupil mobility and how we deal with it, um, explain the strategies and mention in passing some of the, the literature, um, show my results and then conclude. So we have this really good data set in England. It's the National Pupil Database. Um, we're using it between 2003 and 2009. It really only came into existence in 2002. But um, the variables that we need in particular are, are there from 2003 onwards. Uh, so this is a census of pupils in state schools. Uh, most pupils in England are, are in state schools in the primary education. Very, very small fraction attend uh, independent schools at that stage. Um, and this can be linked to school level data sets which are also very good in providing uh, relevant details of, um, of schools like the expenditure data, the percentage of disadvantaged students and so on. Um, but crucially we have information on whether English is spoken as the first language, the ethnicity of the student, the free school meal status which is an indication of disadvantage. The, anybody on benefits whose parents are on benefits will be eligible to receive free school meals. Um, then we have school level information on school type, pupil numbers, percentage disadvantage, pupil teacher ratio um, and school expenditure. There are national tests in primary school taken at age 11. They are external to the school and they're, um, they're also externally marked um, and they form the basis of the primary school performance table so they're quite high stakes. Um, there's teacher assessment at, grade, at age 7. Um, that used to be a test, but now it's, it's just teacher assessment. So that's how we will control for prior ability. And um, as you will know, it's just like here, there isn't really great repetition. So everybody is uh, within, born within a year, year of each other in each year group in, in uh, school. Um, so just to, to define non-native English speaker, the first language is defined as the language to which the child was exposed during early development and continues to use this language in the home or in the community. If a child acquires English subsequently to early development, then English is not their first language, no matter how proficient in it they become. So the definition of non-native English speaker is not based on any notion of fluency um, here. Um, this is the percentage of children in year six who are non-native speakers of English and of non-white ethnic origin. So you can see that there's been a steady increase um, over time. Um, it's about 7.5% of the whole population in um, 2003 and rose to just over 10% in 2009. The number increased by about a third. Um, and these are the, I just want to illustrate in this particular slide that um, 
Although the majority of native English speakers are from white British backgrounds, um, ethnic minorities are actually split between um, in, in non-native non -native speakers who are ethnic. There's plenty of uh, ethnic minorities as well who are uh, native English speakers as well uh, here. Um, so that's just to, to illustrate. Um, so, but of course there. There is differences within those groups. So Bangladeshi people are predominantly people uh, who speak English as an additional language. But if you look at Black Caribbean, it's the other way around. Most of them are native English speakers. Um, this is the percentage of children. And year six is the final year of primary school. Um, these are non-native speakers of English and of white ethnic origin. And you can see that the increase, there's an increase that occurs um, from 2005 onwards, and this reflects um, A8 immigration. I'll say a bit more about that later. Um, this is the average characteristics of pupils in each group. Um, so you can see that the um, non-native English speakers, however, from whatever um, their ethnicity, are more likely to be on free school meals, um, and they are lower performing by the time they get to the end of primary school. So particularly in reading and writing, they're a good uh, 10 percentile points behind native English speakers. But in maths, there's a, they're actually quite close. They're only, on average, 3 percentile points behind native English speakers. Um, and this is the average characteristics um, of schools attended by pupils in each category. Um, so we're just here looking at any school where there's at least one non-native English speaker of white origin, any school where there's at least one, non, one speaker of non-white origin, just to see whether characteristics differ between the three groups. And um, here, the, um, you can see that on average, um, students who are non-native English speakers attend schools uh, that are more a little bit more disadvantaged in terms of free school meals. Um, but on, in other, otherwise, they don't look that different. They, uh, non-native non English speakers of white origin are more likely to go to Catholic schools. Um, in England, there's 70% would not be affiliated to a particular religion, and 20% Church of England, and 10% Catholic. Um, so the potential problem of student mobility. Well, it may be the case that if there's an influx of people who are uh, non-native English speakers, a reaction to that might be to move area, move school. Um, and in this case, you'd be worried in doing any kind of regression that the composition of the, of the native English population, not native English speakers, is actually uh, correlated with the number of people who are coming in uh, in the school. So we were worried, concerned about that. Um, so we, we want to relate the probability of moving school to the future proportion of non-native English speakers in year group six, or put another way, look, look at the people. We're, we're, we're mainly interested in year group six, but we want to see whether uh, the percentage of non-native speakers in year group six is correlated with the probability of having moved school between year group two and year group six. And we find that there is a correlation. So how we try to overcome that um, is to look at the uh, native English speakers in year group two. That's when they're age seven and they do their, their tests. Um, and basically keep them at that school. So one reaction to having uh, a higher number of non-native English speakers is to um, actually move school, and one reaction is just to stay put. But, but what we want to do is just treat 
treat everybody as though they, they didn't move school at all uh, from year group two onwards and look at that population. Or look at, it's looking at everybody, but it's not taking into account whether they subsequently move schools or not. Um, I hope, hope that's clear, but please let me know if, if anybody's confused at this stage. Um, uh, in practice, it doesn't really make that much difference. It does, it does make a bit of difference when you put in controls, but it doesn't really make that much difference. Um, and this is just to illustrate. So um, this is the proportion of non-native English speakers um, regressed against the uh, just a zero-one variable for uh, pupil mobility of native English speakers. So this is saying that if the proportion of non-native English speakers increased by 0.10, um, it would increase the probability of moving for a native English speaker by 2.8 percentage points. But that's quite small um, as an effect, um, as an association, and it's it do not, not terribly sensitive to controls. Um, so from now on, I'm just going to look at the school somebody attends at year group, uh, when they're in year group two, and use that as their school. Um, so this is just what I said before. Initially, we're going to just look at association, then we're going to talk about whether the coefficient can be interpreted in a causal way. And finally, we're going to look at an IV approach. Um, so this is the uh, procedure for looking at the association. So first of all, looking at uh, role correlation plus year dummies. Then we put in controls for individual demographics. So the free school meal status of the native English speaker, their gender and their month of birth. Um, and then what we do is we control for the age seven teaching assessment of native English speakers and then put in school fixed effects. Now, I presented this recently at CEP and people suggested that I do D before C and I, I've, done, I've done that, D before C, and it doesn't make any difference. I've changed the paper because it actually does make more sense to do it that way. Um, the idea there is that perhaps the impact of um, non-native English speakers is already captured by age seven tests, which is my, my, maybe why you don't want to control for it too soon. Um, but then we put in time-varying school characteristics. Um, we put in then the total number of non-native English speakers in the whole school, because perhaps um, perhaps the whole school is changing. Uh, we're interested in non-native English speakers in your year group, uh, not uh, in your whole school as the uh, mechanism. Um, and then we can put in school-specific time trends as well. So by the time we get to the last thing, we, we've, we've put in a, a lot of controls. Um, so that's the, the most detailed specification. Um, so if you estimate a regression like that in the most detailed specification, it is, I think, similar to quite a lot of papers in the uh, peer group literature following Caroline Hoxby's paper um, that argue that um, the only thing that is um, identifying the uh, peer characteristic here is an idiosyncratic variation from year to year. That's just about, you know, changes in the cohort um, that really don't have anything to do with any kind of direct causal association with the, the dependent variable. Um, and there's quite a lot of examples, um, including Paul's work uh, here. Um, so. That's, that's what we're going to look at um, as, as one of our strategies. Um, and then the other thing uh, is the IV strategy. So in May 2004, there were 10 Central and Eastern European countries that joined the EU, and the UK, Ireland, and Sweden were the only countries to initially grant full freedom of movement. Um, so many of those uh, immigrants were from Poland, um, our country where 
many people are Catholic. Um, so this had a disproportionate effect on the demand for Catholic schools. This is something that's well known anecdotally uh, in England. But this is what the data shows. So this is the, um, the percentage of white non-native English speakers by school type, Catholic schools, Church of England schools, and schools that are not affiliated to any particular religion. And you can see that the big shift there is for Catholic schools. Um, so in the Ivy approach, what we want to do is to, well, we model this trend as a spline, and we want to use the part of the, the trend that really gets that increase and then interacted with Catholic schools and use the interaction between the change in the time trend and Catholic schools as the IV. So controlling for the direct effects of the time trend um, and school type um, separately. And we, we'll try and show to you that that is a, a reasonable um, uh, thing to do, that that, that particular variable is strongly correlated with what we're interested in, the percentage of white non-native English speakers, but isn't correlated with anything we might want to, what we might think of as a control variable. Um, so that's just illustrating what I've just said. So was this influence big enough to change the number of Catholic schools, or make Catholic schools a lot bigger? Um, there is a correlation with school size a little bit, um, but um, not, not, it's not very big. Um, it wouldn't have changed the number of Catholic schools that much because that's something that responds really slowly to, um, to changes in, in demand. Um, yeah, I guess the question is, could it have led to overcrowding or could it have affected the mix of non- um, or of native students because they were crowded out? Well, we're, we're continuing to look at everybody at their, the school that they attended four years before. Uh, so we're already trying to to sort of deal with that issue um, of, of potential compositional change. Um, um, and then what we have... Okay, so, the, so these, these Polish kids are coming in in various different grades, they're not all starting. Um, that's true, they're coming in all the time, or yes, and at so we try at some point, not in the IV approach, but in this, the other approach, to look at what the impact is if you just arrive in the school within the last two years, as opposed to having been there for five or six years. Um, but yes, the, the uh, increase in the um, A8 people is post-2005, so they haven't necessarily been there since that uh, year. Group two. So this is the first set of results, and uh, just focusing on what the association is. So in the, the first column just shows the association when only controlling for year dummies. And here, the, if the percentage of uh, non-native English speakers increases by uh, 10 percentage points, the association is that it would, um, the percentile score of native English speakers falls by 1.2 percentile points in reading, 0.9 percentile points in writing, and 1.4 percentile points in maths. So you can see that even in the raw association is actually very small. Um, once you put in minimal demographic controls, um, that association is at least halved. Um, so that's really saying that the, any neg the negative association you see in the raw data is mainly accounted for by sorting, um, that the uh, non-native English speakers are sorting into schools with less favorable characteristics, and that's what's generating the negative correlation in the raw data. Now, if you put in the uh, age seven tests, it reduces again. Um, 
and if you put in school fixed effects, it goes away completely. If you put in school fixed effects in column three, it would also go away completely. Um, what I'd like to point out here particularly is that the standard error doesn't explode. So if you thought the school fixed effects were just taking out all of the variation, there was nothing left to explain, uh, you might see an explosion of the standard error, which would say you couldn't really say what the impact was or what the association was. But our, our standard errors are really small um, and that, that they're not much affected by, by putting in school fixed effects. So if you wanted to interpret this in a causal way, you would say that the, there is a, absolutely no, uh, associate, no negative or positive effect of having more uh, non-native English speakers in your class. Uh, and that doesn't change if you, as you put in more and more detailed controls. Um, okay, uh, basically the appendix table is just showing the same thing but not uh, looking at, uh, forgetting about the mobility issue. Um, so the next thing is just splitting, splitting people by whether they're white non-native English speakers or non-white non-native English speakers and uh, the raw correlation then is uh, positive in the case of white non-native English speakers and negative in the case of non-white non non-native speakers um, for, um, for reading and writing and uh, for maths, no correlation between white non-native speakers. Um, and, and, but the story is just the same as before, that any correlation actually goes away very quickly um, after you put in school fixed effects. Um, then we try to look at non-linearities because clearly it might matter if you have lots and lots of people who are non-native English speakers in your class rather than just a few. And it, it does, and the raw correlation is definitely negative, um, if you, and a, a good bit more negative if you've um, got quite a lot of non-native English speakers in your class. But it also goes away as soon as you in, uh, put in other controls. And then we look at heterogeneity. So if you, had, if you were worried about particular subgroups in the population, you might be worried about pupils who are eligible, native English pupils who are eligible to receive free school meals, um, pupils who um, are, do badly in age seven tests, and uh, pupils in London schools where we know that there's been big increases over time. Um, but in each of those cases, you really don't find anything. Um, even in the raw association, it's not actually strongly negative in the case of um, uh, pupils eligible to receive free school meals or pupils who achieve poorly in tests at age seven. The only, the only uh, regression where you do find something significant after you put in every control there is that we have is um, in the case of pupils who achieve poorly in tests at age seven. Um, but then um, a, a 10 percentage point increase in non-white, um, non non-native English speakers would only increase decrease the percentile um, score of natives by, by 0.5 of a percentile point. So it's, it's really, really tiny. Um, and then the last thing we do here is we look at the people who appear in the school census in the last two years, and that's in year, in year group six or year group five, and then people who have been in this non uh, native English, non-native English, non-native speakers who've been in the census for longer than that. And the rationale being that it could be really disruptive if you have somebody in your class coming in in the last year of primary school. Um, it could also be that there, if you've been in, in that school for a while, there's time for your English to improve by the time you get to age 11. Um, but if you've just arrived, you know, there isn't much time for your English to improve. Um, and there you do see what you expect to see, which is the negative correlation between um, the percentage of non-native speakers arriving in the last two years of primary school 
and the educational attainment of native English speakers. But the, the story is completely unchanged. Once you put in controls, that completely goes away, uh, suggesting there is no causal impact, and all of that just reflects selection. Sort, way, sorting, sorting of people into schools. The way I look at the heterogeneity, and I think this has been done for class size literature, quantile regressions. Oh, I've done that. I've done the quantile regressions, but just in the simple specifications. And um, there you don't find um, any real difference across the quantiles, across the, well, looking at the 0.25% median and the 75th percentile. So I did that in the simple regressions, not in the more detailed specifications. And there you didn't see any difference in the distribution. But you're finding, when you just do a split, and you look at the ones you do badly at age seven, there is an effect. Um, there is an effect there in, in that particular in that particular division. Yes, that's right. Um, but it is small, very small. Um, um, so I suppose the key question for this is: Is putting in the controls we have really sufficient to take out everything? Um, and is is it really just idiosyncratic variation in the? Um, uh, non-native speakers that that is identifying the effect because it is identified the standard errors are really small it's um it's zero the coefficient is zero um and one way of doing that um i i have taking this from another paper in the this literature um by gould lavi and passerman i think um where they they're just trying to justify their approach and they're saying well let's look at key um, characteristics that we're trying to control for and see if those characteristics of the population we're interested in are, are correlated with um, the peer characteristic, the uh, migrants in their case, um, after you put in lots of controls. And, and if there's no correlation, then we're really confident that, um, that we're really taking out all of the variation. There really is only idiosyncratic variation left in the data. Um, I mean, you could say that the controls we have are good, but you need to put them all in. Um, otherwise, they don't, it doesn't take out all of the things you want to control for. So actually, this test isn't really meaningful. Um, but we did it anyway, just to see. And basically, this is just basically leaving out one, one of the key um, variables you want to control for, uh, whether the native English speaker is eligible to... Uh, receive free school meals and see whether that's correlated with white non-native English speakers, non-white non-native English speakers, after you put in all the other controls. And so the, the columns to really look at here are the column three and column six. So this is the coefficient on white non-native English speakers and the coefficient on non-white non-native English speakers. And I mean, these coefficients are really, really small once you put in all these controls. I suppose Arguably, you might be a bit concerned that there's still significant correlations in the most detailed specifications, which aren't very important in themselves, but might be indicative of um, some sort of omitted variable. Um, it might be that, so basically, when you put in full controls, there, there's a positive correlation, significant correlation between uh, white non-native English speakers and uh, whether the native speaker is eligible to receive free school meals. So that would suggest maybe there's still uh, sorting going on even after you put in all the controls. It may be that white non-native English speakers are more likely to go to schools that are declining in quality, uh, that is not fully captured in the regressions, even if you put in school-specific time trends. And, um, 
in that case, our coefficient would be biased towards zero. So there might be a positive spillover effect that you wouldn't detect in more detailed specifications simply because of a correlation between uh, white non-native English speakers and declining school quality. Um, so that would, that would say our regressions in that case would seem to rule out negative spillover effects but not necessarily positive spillover effects. Um, and the reason there could be positive spillover effects is because the parents of, of those children are quite well educated. Uh, we know schools are getting more resources for having those children in their schools. It's conceivable that uh, those schools could actually do better if there's some sorts of economies of scale and provision to, uh, to, to uh, in provision of um, teachers, extra teachers or extra resources, whatever they do uh, to, to um, those schools get because they're having more of those children in their school. Um, for non-white, non-native English speakers, the correlation just goes away in the more detailed specification. It's, 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 it's not actually very different from white non-native English speakers, but it is never significant. And it looks to me like pretty close to zero. Um, so the interpretation, um, raw correlation um, reduces massively once very few controls are added um, and generally goes to zero after including school fixed effects. So that is, whatever you think about causality, I think that's quite an interesting finding and, uh, because the, the issue itself is very controversial. Um, it seems that the negative overall association in the raw data just reflects sorting of non-native speakers into schools with less favourable characteristics. Um, and it may be that non-native English speakers might be sorting into schools of declining quality and that's not fully captured by the controls. In that case, the coefficient would have an upward bias. It's, um, it's measured at the year group and not at the class level. Um, so you might be more worried about that if we had class data rather than the year group level. So they have to be um, assigning across year groups in an optimal way. And that would have to be non-varying over time and exactly correlated with the, the shocks that they're getting for that to be true. Um, no, unfortunately, we, we don't have um, good... Um, teacher characteristics in, in, in this. Uh, we have the year group size, but not the class size. So, uh, no, we have, the, there is a measure of the pupil-teacher ratio which might be taking account of that somehow. Um, because that's a very, it's not a derived variable, it's a data variable actually in the data set. Um, but we're, we can't really say, um, it may be that there is some, if schools didn't do what they do, I mean, if schools were completely oblivious and didn't care about uh, non-native English speakers and didn't react at all to it, um, the impact could be negative. And it might be that schools are just um, are just doing things differently and that once you put in school fixed effects, that's completely captured. And um, that's why we don't pick up anything. Um, that, that would be the interpretation. Um, so basically, not not students in the particular year group, but the, the school uh, children in the year group uh, maybe before right. might so suffer. Effects, you're basically comparing the reports in the schools that a lot of non-native English speakers are 
Okay, okay. Okay, maybe I can think of some way to, to look at that. Um, but thank you. Um, so this is the looking, focusing in on the uh, percentage of white non-native speakers by school type. And as I showed you before, that the um, Catholic schools seem to be uh, disproportionately affected by um, the A8 immigration. Um, so the first stage in our, what we're trying to do with the instrument, as I said, is to use that part of the time trend and interact it with whether the school is Catholic and use that as our, our, our instrument, but controlling for the direct effect of Catholic school, controlling for um, the direct effect of the time trend. Um, and that's the uh, first stage regression. So it's um, quite strong. The SDAT is over 20, so it's, it's high. Um, and it's invariant to including more and more detailed controls. Um, in terms of falsification, what we can do is to see whether the instrument is correlated with um, anything else, like percentage white non-native English speakers, non-white non-native English speakers, uh, whether the native speaker is eligible to free, uh, receive free school meals, uh, whether the native speaker achieves, um, gets a reasonable grade in uh, their age seven reading test, uh, writing and maths test, and the, the instrument is uncorrelated with any of those things. So it seems to only be correlated with the thing we're interested in and not correlated with, with other things, the things we might want to control for, which is good. Um, in the reduced form regression, um, there is the, the standard errors are very high for reading and writing. So the, the, effects, are the effects are basically indeterminate. Um, for maths, though, you do see um, a positive uh, coefficient, um, which is at least significant in the first three specifications, but doesn't change that much in the uh, more detailed specifications really either. And the, that, if you do the IV second stage regression with that, it would say that um, an in the increase has uh, generated an increase in the maths, maths scores of native English speakers by about 1.3 percentiles. So it's, it's, that's, that's quite a bit higher than any OLS specification. Um, um, how would you interpret that? Well, it, I mean, the, it's, it's a local average treatment effect and not an OLS uh, uh, results, so it may be that it's just um, relevant for that subpopulation that are affected by the instrument, so that's why the two may not be the same. Um, and also, it, as I argued before, uh, we know that the parents of those children are very well educated, and so it is conceivable that they could have a positive effect on the uh, performance of, of other children in the um, year group. Um, so the conclusion is that any negative association is small and quickly goes away after controlling for key characteristics. And I suppose even if we, did, if we don't put in school fixed effects allowing for, for Paul's point, um, the coefficient would still be pretty small and um, um, pretty close to zero. Um, I, I thought that potentially there could be downward bias in the coefficient for, for, what I, for reasons I've discussed. Um, and the IV regressions would suggest a positive effect for maths, but not necessarily comparable uh, to the OLS. So it looks like any lack of language proficiency by non-native English speakers doesn't impede the progress of uh, native English speaking peers, um, maybe because primary age uh, students catch up fast anyway, so it doesn't really matter if they don't come into school speaking English as a first language because they catch up quite fast. Um, maybe schools are just resourced and have been for a long time uh, to cater for ethnic students from ethnic minority backgrounds um, and who especially uh, students uh, who don't speak English as a first language so uh, that might be partly captured by the school fixed effect. 
And uh, finally, positive selection of immigrants to the UK on, on, on education um, over generations, maybe. So I would say after this paper that really it's, we shouldn't really be worried about negative effects of uh, non-native English speakers, apparently nowhere in the distribution at all, which, which is interesting. Um, that's, that's all I have to say. I hope I haven't been too quick. No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay.